Thanks for finding us. This is a message recorded at Fairfax Assembly in Bakersfield, California. You can find out more at fairfaxassembly.com. You know, it was happening just now, uh, and it's something that I, I love, and I've, as I get older, I guess I've come to value more, and that is good conversation. In fact, some of my earliest memories are of uh, too many people in too small a room, <laughs> the little front room of the first house I remember, and relatives there and friends there, and too many people in too small a living room just talking. I can remember that. Or, or sitting on a front porch with people just talking. There are lots of good conversationalists on both sides of my family. Uh, and I think it might have been a multi-generational thing because I remember my mom talking about when she was small and during the Depression days when it, you didn't have money to have a good time and her family would get together and they would push all, get all the extra furniture out of a room and push all of the mismatched chairs against the perimeter of the wall and then they would all just sit in those chairs and they would talk all day long. And English, German, talk, just talk. And then when they got tired of talking to that person, they'd get up and move across the room and talk to somebody else. Just talking, conversation. It's a good thing. I like good conversation. But what is it about conversation that makes it good? I mean, think about it. Is it the way that you can find common ground when you're talking with somebody? And, and as you're talking, you realize, oh, you like those same things that I like too? Or you think like that too? Or you've had that experience too? Or, or is it the, 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 the timing of the give and the take of a good conversation? You're not stepping on each other's toes, but you're actually listening and actually responding. And, or, or is it the way that you you find genuineness. You find out what somebody's really like with a long conversation or the way your relationship is strengthened. It, conversation becomes almost like a glue that pulls you together and holds you together and binds you together. Or, or it's the funny things that happen in a conversation. I don't know about you. I can't have a conversation with anybody very long without something funny coming up. Maybe it's the year, years-long jokes that just bubble up. They come back up. Have you ever been so energized by a conversation, so jazzed by a conversation, just talking with friends that you, you've stayed up late into the night? You ever done that? Just talking? I know you have. Or, or you have people over to dinner, or you go out to dinner, or you go to somebody's house, and, and you have dinner, and you're talking through the dinner, and then you're talking through the dessert, and then you're talking afterward, and, and then you, it's time to go, and you go out to the cars, and you stand there for another 45 minutes talking. You look at the clock. You're on the phone, and you look at the clock, and you realize, wow, this phone call's over 90 minutes long now been talking a long time. When you talk, and it's really good, 
It can keep you up at night. I mean, you'll talk late into the night, right? Anne Morrow Lindbergh, the, the wife of the famed aviator, Charles Lindbergh, first person to fly across the Atlantic Ocean solo. Anne Morrow Lindbergh, and an aviator in her own right, she had this to say about conversation. She said, good conversation is as stimulating as black coffee and just as hard to sleep after. Somebody else has said that, that love without conversation is impossible. It's that important. Well, I want you to find your Bible and turn to the 12th chapter of Genesis because we're going to begin looking at a conversation today that lasted for decades, a long, long conversation that began in a very pagan land. It began in a godless land. Actually, not a godless land. There were plenty of gods, but they had a knack for finding the wrong ones. But it began, this conversation, in a very pagan land. And as the, the curtain is pulled back on this long conversation that we get to hear some of, we find God talking. God is talking almost mid-sentence. The 12th chapter of Genesis is where you want to be. And as we pull back the curtain, we see Him talking. It says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house. In other words, leave everything that is near and dear and familiar to you to the land which I will show you. He doesn't pinpoint it on a map. He doesn't give him a description. He doesn't tell him the destination. He doesn't have a name for where he's going to take him. Just go. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so you shall be a blessing. That's how great I'm going to make you, that the blessing will be so much it'll, it'll be over full, and you'll bless other people. There'll be spillover, and I will bless those who bless you, and the ones who curse you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth, all the families of the earth, all the peoples of the earth, down to every family of the earth will be blessed through you, through you. That's the way the conversation begins. I've got a feeling that even before this, before this conversation starts, that God has always been talking, always talking. I mean, think about it. When when God wants to give a descriptor to the, to the coming of Himself in flesh into the world to communicate with us and show us what God is thinking and enter into our thinking, the word He chooses to use for who He is in that moment is the Word. The Word was God. The Word was with God. The Word is Christ. He's called the Word. Because conversation is so important. And this conversation, starting in this pagan land, it starts with Abraham, a God who's always talking. And the difference that Abraham makes is Abraham talks back. It's not just a monologue now, it's a dialogue. And it continues through all of his travels. He will go many places and do many things over the next few decades. But he always comes back to his conversation with God. 
in all of his trading and his wheeling and dealing and money-making, he always comes back to his conversation with God. During a a brief war called the War of the Kings that he unreluctantly gets involved in, he always comes back to the conversation with God. He enters into that war with kings, and it's several weeks of intense activity. You can imagine battles and battle preparation, but this quiet patriarch in waiting, he, he, he shows a flair for military genius, and he's appointed general, and he rescues, and he becomes the deliverer, listen, of a number of people who live in the city of Sodom and the city of Gomorrah. Before God destroys it, he delivers it. And on his way back, this great general, Abraham, he becomes a humble learner. And he has another adventure. He meets a mysterious king named Melchizedek who feeds him bread and wine. But at the end of all these adventures, Abraham does what he always does. He always comes back to his conversation with God. He he will build altars and he will dig wells, but he comes back to that conversation. At some points in his life, he shows that he has a treacherous side. And at least two times, he puts his wife, Sarah, the only other human being who goes on this entire journey with him, he puts her at great risk. But even at the end of all that, he comes back to his conversation with God. And it all starts with God speaking to him, saying, go, leave everything you know, and I'll take care of the rest. That's how his conversation with God starts. Now, there's a thing about conversation with God. You don't have to answer. When God initiates a conversation with you, and he begins to speak to you, however he speaks to you through your conscience, through circumstances, through somebody else, through his word, in prayer, however God speaks to you, you don't have to answer back. You're not bound to do that. You see, we've got a God who is inclined always to let us do exactly what we want to do. He never interferes with our will. We've got a God who gets done what He needs to get done, even though He allows us to go our own way. He'll still get it done. He never violates our will. He never has. He never will. And you don't have to answer back when God begins to speak. Look at this first encounter that Abraham has with God. God's speaking. Nobody said Abraham had to answer back. I would bet that there were lots of other people before Abraham that God spoke to who did not answer back. That's what makes Abraham different. He's not smarter than. He's not richer than. He's not better than. He talks back. All of Abraham's relatives, we're told, were pagans. Later on, when Joshua is looking back in time, he remembers this time, and he remembers where Abraham came from, and, and, and Abraham's relatives were all pagans. They had no background or history with God. In fact, the way Joshua says it in Joshua 24 is, from ancient times, your father lived beyond the river, and then he mentions Abraham's father specifically, and he says, and they all served other gods. Nobody had history with God. Nobody had a conversation with God. And yet God initiates a conversation with Abraham, and the next move is all Abraham's. 
And what will that be? Will he be like most other people and not answer back and let it go? If God had spoken to others, and he had, would Abraham's response back to God now be like theirs, or would his response be somehow different? There's a lot that hangs in the balance as we wait for his answer. God has spoken. What is Abraham going to say back? Look in verse 4. So Abraham, after God gave him these instructions and initiated the conversation, Abraham went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. That was his answer. That was his response back. He said yes. And that started a decades-long conversation that took him places he could never imagine. You don't have to answer God, though. But when you do, the trajectory of your life the direction and the speed of your life and what you will be involved in is radically elevated and you go a way that you never would have gone before had you kept your mouth shut. There's another thing about conversation with God. God says things and we don't always understand what it is that He's saying. Jesus had that problem. He would tell stories and explain things and people would say, we don't get it. There's a thing about conversation with God, and it's this, that it only becomes clear sometimes when you obey. What God is saying, what God has got to say, His end of the conversation, it is cloudy for us very often until we choose to obey. Where's Abraham going? Somebody in another place in the Bible says, Abraham went out not knowing where he was going. He had no clue. I mean, look at verse 12, verse Verse 1 in chapter 12 again. And God says, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. Go. Go where? Go to Egypt? Go across the sea? Go someplace in the desert? Go to the mountains? Go north towards Syria? Or or keep going and, and go to Europe before there is a Europe? Where? Go where? Go north, go south, go east, go west? He gets nothing. Where exactly? He says, to a land I will show you. It's just leave your country, leave your people, leave everything you know for somewhere else. Go where? Somewhere else. Pretty open-ended, don't you think? Go somewhere, just not here. (laughs) That's pretty open-ended. But you know what that means? It means that if Abraham was going to get where he was supposed to be, and only God knows where it is, it means that Abraham would have to get direct guidance all along the way, which means he would have to stay in constant communication with God. Because he doesn't know where he's going. And God does. That means that the way God has set this thing up is the dialogue between he and Abraham would never end. You see how he set it up? That's the way God designed it. Have you ever ever noticed 
in the Lord's Prayer. Have you ever noticed the ordinariness of the Lord's Prayer? The dailiness of the Lord's Prayer. He says, give us this day, what? Our daily bread. Give me, give me, the, give me what I need today for today. That's all. Give us this day our daily bread. Each time you talk with God, you will get some insight. Every time you have a conversation with God, you'll get some kind of direction. You'll get some kind of indicator. It'll be something new to try. And then you do that. You do that that he just talked about. And then you'll get more information. And at some point, you will go from place to place to place in obedience, and you will look back with an insight that you never could have had at the beginning about where it's all going and what it all means. But you begin to understand what God is saying to you when you obey, when you do it. So whatever God is telling you today, Whatever he's indicating to you today, do that today. If later on today you're in conversation with him and he impresses on you, go apologize. Go do that today. Because you're not likely to get very much more information until you obey on that point. Because the way he sets things up is what he's saying only becomes clear when you obey. Why do I have to obey? That's not the question of the hour. Just go obey. Go apologize if that's what he's saying. Give that extra money away. Volunteer to help. We're going to be passing out waters after the service today. If God is prompting you to do that, just do that. Smile even when you don't feel so good. And don't ask why. Make that phone call if that's what he's asking you to do today. Say thanks one more time. What God says to you only becomes clear when you obey. Now, there's another thing about conversation with God, and that it's this. It's usually just for you. When God is telling you something, it's usually just for you. It's not for anybody else. It's for you. I, uh, you probably noticed I got a banged up place on my head. Well, I tried to knock my own brains out this week. And so I've got that thing up on my head. It looks like Gorbachev's map of Albania or something up there. And then I woke up this morning and a filling is out and my tooth is throbbing like crazy. I'm just falling apart all over the place. And uh, I had to go last Monday to the eye doctor. I told you I'm falling apart. And so one of the girls made an appointment for me at, to see the eye doctor at Costco. I didn't know they had eye doctors at Costco. And so I guess that means when my glasses come in, they're going to be much bigger than I need or something. I don't know what that means. Like Elton John glasses. But I, I went in on Monday, and I filled out some paperwork and sat down in the little exam room, and the little doctor came in, and he was an oddball. And I made a mistake as he's examining. I made the mistake of putting on my little application thing. It said occupation, and I put clergy. 
I shouldn't have done that. Because he saw that and he went, ooh. And then he begins to talk about visions and dreams that he's had. He has been visited by Jesus a number of times. And I'm stuck because I'm in that gadget where your chin is in that strap thing and he's got those googly eye goggle things. And, and as he would tell me each new thing that Jesus was talking to him about, and it was some far out stuff, he, would, he had this odd habit. He would open his eyes real big and he'd kind of sweep in under the radar and go, what do you think about that? And I can't, I'm like, I can't get away. Now, I don't know if Jesus appeared to this little guy. For all I know, I don't know. So maybe he did, for all I know. And maybe he said all those things that the guy claims he said. I don't know. I've got no reason to doubt him, so I guess it happened. But sometimes God tells us something, and, 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 and he doesn't want it shared. You know, my impression was I walked out of that place saying what I've said on a few occasions, uh, telling God, you really have some strange friends. <laughs> he seemed like an oddball because of he was maybe it was true, but I don't think it was for everybody. I think it was for him. Now, sometimes God tells us something, and he sends us on a little prophetic excursion saying something that he wants other people to hear you say. But that's not normal. That's not normally the way he does it. Normally when God talks to you, it's just for you. It's just for you. If you look at what he said to Abraham in this initiated conversation, he says, among other things, I will make your name great. Now that's the very thing that he had squashed at the tower with Nimrod and the people at Babylon. They wanted to make their name great. And God said, oh, no, you won't. Boom. And he makes it so they're not so great. But he tells Abraham, but you, I will make your name great. And I will give you land. And I will give you descendants. At this point, he had none. But also that he, by entering into this conversation with God, would be the cause, God tells him, of a blessing that would affect all of the nations and every single human being that would ever be conceived on the earth. God would do that. And there's no record of Abraham ever repeating any of that to anybody except one of his one son, his only son. It's the only one he ever told. He never repeated the things that God told him in private. Now, there was somebody in the Word who did. God came to young Joseph, and maybe it was his youth, I don't know. But God told him special things about the future, and he would go out and blurt it out to everybody, most especially his jealous brothers. And for his trouble of sharing his visions and dreams, he got himself sold into slavery. I think most of the time when you're talking with God and he impresses things and he tells you things, that it's usually just for you. It's usually just for you. Jump ahead in time. Jump ahead 
thousands of years. It's a day of healing. The followers of Jesus are on their own, sort of, now. And they're approaching the temple at the hour of prayer, and they see a man who's desperately crippled up and in need of healing, and he asks for some money, and they don't have any money to give. Instead, they say, but healing can happen through Jesus' name. And the man is healed by the name of Christ. And that man at the gate is up, and he's leaping, and he's walking, and he's praising God. It's a, it's a day of whirlwind events. And to the onlookers, Peter and John, who are the agents through which that healing takes place, they tell the crowd that's gathered, and who wouldn't gather to see a remarkable healing? They tell them, all of these people, that through your offspring, all of the earth will be blessed, were words that were first spoken to Father Abraham. That Abraham was told, Abraham, through your offspring, all people will be blessed. And what you're seeing here is a working out of that initial promise. This man is blessed because Abraham entered into a conversation with God that was just for him. But look what's happened. Paul, in his most impassioned letter, will look back on the day that Abraham and God started their conversation, and he will say that what happened on that day, in fact, is God announced the gospel in advance to Abraham, saying, all nations will be blessed by you. You know, very often God is speaking, and He'll speak in our moment of confusion sometimes. He did that for Father Abraham. Abraham was a few years down the road, and the conversation had gone on a while at this point. He had, in fact, left everything he knew and had gone to a land that was not his. But God kept telling him, but it will be yours, and you will have descendants. And, and while God had made his name great, he's now a great general, he's now a great man of commerce, and he's known, and he's famous, and he's respected, there still was no land and there still were no children. And so Abraham is confused at this point, thinking, did I mishear? Did God misspeak? And he's confused and he's trying to figure out his future on his own when God steps in and begins to talk again. And in the 15th chapter of Genesis, in the fifth verse, in his confusion, it says, and he, God, took Abraham outside. He got him out of the, the confusion. Let's go outside on a quiet night. He took him out of that confusion. He took him outside, and he said to Abraham, now look toward the sky, and I dare you to count the stars. And if you're able to count the stars, he said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And then one of the most significant verses in the Bible, verse 6, then he, Abraham, believed in the Lord. It clicked. And he believed it at that point. God was speaking, but what God was speaking was just for Abraham. Just like Mary, Abraham 
handled the conversations with God. Mary pondered things in her heart. She was told, you will be the mother of the Messiah, the Son of God. But she didn't go and blab that to everybody she knew. She pondered that in her heart. And Abraham never told another living soul the things that God communicated to him in this years-long conversation. He never told another person except his son Isaac. What you and God talk about, large and small, wild plans and wilder dreams, and promises that may almost certainly will have ripple effects on this big world and other lives beyond what you can imagine if you will just listen and obey, those things most often are just for you. They're for now. And they're just for you for now. We're talking in these weeks about do you love God enough to think about Him? And I hope you are thinking about God in ways that you've never thought about Him before. But let me piggyback on that and ask you this. Do you love God enough to talk to Him? To enter into conversation with Him? It would be wrong to encourage you to begin a conversation with God and not tell you how to do it. Now, there's some people in this room who are old hands at it, and they could tell you much better than I. But let me give you just one tip, and it works for the experienced and for the novice as well. I want you to try this at least once this week. See if this conversation won't go somewhere with you and God. Find a quiet place, a quiet time. And that may be difficult at your house. It may mean you've got to get up early or stay up late. But find that quiet place. Just like Abraham took a walk with God outside in the starry night. Find a quiet place. And open the Word on your knees. I want you to actually try this. Open the Word on your knees to a, a familiar part, something you know and love, the 23rd Psalm or Romans 8 or Psalm 91 or a gospel story, something that you like. Open it up there. And then take a real deep breath and say to God, and I dare you to say it out loud, I'd really like us to talk. And tell the Father, Son, and Spirit what's on your mind. And then look down at that word, and I bet he'll tell you what's on his. Have a conversation with God. And if it's a real conversation with God, it'll last a long, long time. You've been listening to a slightly inspired message from Fairfax Assembly a different kind of church in Bakersfield, California. Find out more at www.fairfaxassembly.com.